If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter number five. We're going to continue our series that we studied several or started, I should say, several months ago uh, on this letter from Paul to the Christians in Galatia, Galatians chapter number five. And as you're turning there, I do want to just give a quick thank you to those that are tuning in through the live stream. Uh, I, I got a, a very encouraging text this week from uh, Brother Kevin and his wife, Shauna Woodard, that uh, they're, they're, I think, traveling in Kansas right now, but they've been tuning in through the live stream, and it's just, it's just a blessing uh, to, to be able to have that at our, um, at our disposal, right, to be able to live in a day and age where even when we're traveling on the road, uh, we can still tune in and study God's Word together as a local body, and uh, and I just want to thank them for taking the time to do that, and I know, I think Fernando's up in Washington and others that are in Houston. It's just a, it's just a blessing to be able to uh, have you tuning in through the live stream. Galatians chapter number 5, and we're going to continue uh, our study as we've seen that in chapter 5, Paul makes the shift to a practical, spirit-filled life. He's been talking about in chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, laying a foundation that faith is, um, or salvation is by faith alone, that it's nothing that we work for, it's something that is given to us, it was a work that Christ did on the cross in our place, and, uh, and it's a gift that he gives to all that will receive it, uh, to all that will hear his voice, to all that will uh, confess him, and by faith, he gives new life. He gives salvation. It is not through what we have done. It is not by keeping the law. It's not by being a good person. It's not by good works. It is all by faith and faith alone that we receive salvation. So then as one person receives salvation, what is he to do? How is he to live in that salvation? Because the gospel is more than a one-time uh, message or thing that happens in our life. Yes, salvation is something we receive in a moment. It is one that we receive as we confess Christ as our personal Savior and ask for His forgiveness in that moment. We go from uh, darkness to light. We go from the family that is of the devil, Jesus said, to now a family that is of God. For as many as received Him... To them gave he power to become the sons of God. But now how are we to live in that gospel? It's not just that moment and all that the Bible talks about. It's what we do after that moment. It's what the gospel begins to do in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds. And so in chapter number five, he begins to do that. He begins to explain and break that down. And uh, if you recall, uh, he says that a spirit-filled Christian, one that is controlled by the spirit, uh, is one that stands fast, one that stays in the race, one that serves in love, one that serves with the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to just read verses 1 down to verse number 18 and keep that in mind. Look at as Paul talks about standing and how he talks about staying in the race and how he talks about serving in love and serving with power. Notice what it says. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. 
Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. Ye are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Notice how he says to stay in the faith. Uh, you, who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord, that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why, should, why do I yet suffer persecution? This is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they would even cut off which trouble you. For, brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. We see the Apostle Paul speaking of the Spirit-filled life and how it connects to every area of our life. When you get to verse number 19, the Apostle Paul begins to say that a Spirit-filled Christian is different. A spirit-filled Christian is different. Now, why are we different? Why is that spirit-filled Christian different? They're different because of the spirit of life that is working within them, changing their nature and character of their person to something new, to something that is Christ-like, to something uh, that is in a new family and a new creation. It is different because of the life that flows out of them as a result of that new nature that was given to them. Now, there's just no getting around this fact. A spirit-filled Christian is different. This past year, um, as I got my uh, refund, or as we, I shouldn't say I, right? It's not just all mine, but me and my wife, as we, as we got our refund, uh, we decided that it was time to upgrade our television. We had had our television, I don't know, for like uh, maybe seven or eight years. And so uh, every time I would go like to Walmart and Sam's and Best Buy, I'd say, that's what I need. I need a new television and, uh, and never just got the money to do it. And finally, in the refund this year, I was like, yeah, let's do it. And, uh, and we bought a, a new television. And uh, as I was looking at the different televisions, I, I began to look up this thing about contrast. Now, I'm not a TV expert. I'm not going to act like I am. But from what I read up on, uh, different screens like LCD screens and um, uh, OLED screens and QLED screens, they all have like different characteristics that, uh, that make them either uh, a better quality or try to make the picture even better than the previous generation of televisions. And I find that contrast is the key. They say contrast, what they do with contrast is you change the setting of the television on the contrast. It, it makes the white colors brighter and the dark colors darker, much more black. 
And, uh, and so they say the, the better television screens and the better technology in those televisions actually makes the contrast, the differences that your eyes perceiving on the screen to be better. So that if you're looking at something that's showing uh, uh, dark and shadowy, you can see what's in the shadows, right? You can see it a little bit more clearly. And, and when you're looking at something bright like the, uh, the clouds or the sky, that, that blue is just that much bluer and, and the white stands out that much more. And, and you can see the clear picture of the cloud. Contrasts in the settings of a television just makes the picture clearer. And you know, in the spiritual life, for a spirit-filled Christian, the contrast of that life compared to the life of a person that is living in the flesh is also big. It's drastic. There should be a difference in what people perceive and see in the life of someone that is spirit-filled and someone that is living in the flesh. Someone that is living by the grace of God and someone that's trying to live by their good works. Someone that is living a life of faith contrasting one that's living a life of religion. There, there's, there's just a major difference. So when you get to verse number 19, Paul begins to paint that picture. Paul begins to change the setting of the contrast and saying, okay, I've been talking to you about a spirit-filled person. You know, how they stand for things and stand against things. And, and we, we've talked about staying in the race and you're, you're running well and, and someone's trying to get you off that race. And, and the religious people uh, for you in Galatia, they're, they're trying to get you back to, to buy into the law and to live by the law. But we've been made free of the law. And, and he says, so because you, you have that liberty, now use it to serve one another in love and, and use that love to show uh, uh, Christ to others. And then he says, but the way you're going to do that is you have to have power. You have to get plugged in uh, to the spirit of God that he might lead you and direct you and guide you and empower you so that, so that you can be different. And what is that all equal to? What, is, what does that create? It creates a picture of contrast that now everyone can see clearly the difference between grace and faith works in religion look at the contrast if you will starting in verse number 19 he says this now the works of the flesh are manifest they're shown they're evidenced which are these adultery fornication uncleanness lasciviousness idolatry witchcraft hatred variance emulations wrath strife seditions heresies envies murders drunkenness revelings and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. What a contrast. Notice how he makes the darks darker. And you get to verse 22 and he makes the light lighter. And at the end in verse 24 down to verse 26, 
He's, he's telling the Christians in Galatia, choose. Choose what kind of life to live. The spirit-filled life or the fleshly life, but you've got to choose. And he encourages them to choose the spirit-filled life. So let's look at that really quick this morning, that contrast. Notice that, first of all, he speaks of a fleshly life. A fleshly life. Now, this fleshly life is driven by what is already in our hearts and in our minds. It is controlled by our fallen nature. The Bible, the Bible says that our nature, after Adam sinned, he passed that sin on to all the generations that would follow after him. In Romans chapter 5, in verse number 12, you'll find this, that because of Adam's sin, sin passed unto all men. So we all have that nature. From the moment that we are conceived, we have this sinful nature. So a fleshly life, what he's talking about here, uh, what Paul is telling the Christians at Galatians is that a fleshly life is a life that is lived through our sinful nature. Lived through what is already on our hearts and in our minds, what has already been marred by sin. And notice that it touches every area of life. You say, a sinful life, a sinful nature, is not just affected by what we do, the, the actions in our life. It, it also affects how we think and who we are on the internal side of our life. It affects every area of our life. So notice that he's going to talk about three different areas. You can put them in three different categories, if you will. And, and I'm sure that uh, you could maybe have subcategories or bigger categories or different named categories. But uh, just for our study this morning, I've divided into three categories that you can see in verse 19, 20, and 21 that the Apostle Paul divides what the sinful nature looks like and lives like. Notice that he starts with sexual sins. These are the sins that are done in our body against our body. The sexual sins of adultery and fornication bring about a destruction in ourselves. And Paul is saying, avoid this. Do you know that in the culture there in Galatia, this was something that was normal. In a pagan culture like the culture that Galatia was, was going in and, and the Gentile culture of that day, uh, going to a, um, a, a temple of a false god usually was accompanied by prostitution. So in other words, to worship the false god, one of the ceremonies and rituals was actually having a prostitute there. And you could sleep with a prostitute, and that was to uh, worship and adore that god. Whatever god it was, sometimes it was the, the goddess of uh, Aristus or something like that, or uh, different other god and goddesses that they would worship, and they would accompany it with prostitution. Now today, in our culture here in America, that's frowned upon. We still at least have laws that would say, no, that, that kind of lifestyle is not just going to be accepted in our society Though more and more, I think there's going to be probably more uh, acceptance of it. Sadly, we, we accept it in different other forms. But, but you see that this is something that the Apostle Paul was saying, avoid that. Because of what it does to your own self. Paul is saying, he's not saying this because why? Well, it's just for your reputation. You know, and you want to avoid those things for your reputation. No. 
Paul is saying the, the sexual sins of adultery and fornication. By the way, the only difference between those two words, in the Greek it's, it's one word, and, and the difference is adultery, of course, is, is a sexual sin when you are married, and fornication is a sexual sin when you're not married. Right? That's why Timothy, we know, was not married. This is what the apostle Paul told him, flee fornication. Okay? But it's the same thing. It's this, it's this impurity there of the body. And this is what Paul said to, to those in the church of Corinth. 1 Corinthians 6.18 Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. That sinful lifestyle, that sinful nature uh, of, of that sexual sin is something that actually hurts you. And by the way, we have seen the results of that even in our day and age today. I believe one of the, 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 the results of, of sleeping around and, 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 uh, and, and kind of being free in that lifestyle are sexually transmitted diseases. Who does that affect? You. Your own body. That's why the Apostle Paul said, listen, this sin is something that affects you, yourself. So flee that. Avoid that. The sins next that are mentioned are the sins of impurity. Notice he says not only are you to uh, avoid or flee from adultery uh, um, and fornication, but he says uncleanness. This is the, the Greek word, karthosia, uh, and it, it, it's connected with sexual sins. It's got the same idea, but the difference is the mental state of that. The first... Uh, word adultery and uh, fornication is the greek word porneia where we get pornography from but it has the idea of actually going and committing the physical act of sleeping with someone but this next word all right akarthasia has to do with the mental side of it with the impure thoughts karthasia means pure good clean akarthasia a that has before it is like anti in other words, that stuff that is impure, that stuff that uh, we allow in our minds, though we may not be uh, physically practicing it, but allowing it to stay in our minds and to dwell and meditate upon it. Those sexual sins, Paul says you're to avoid. That is fleshly. That is the sin nature working in you. And then the last word that he uses there is lasciviousness in verse 19. Lasciviousness is the Greek word Aselgia, which means unbridled lust. And the difference here is basically the person that has lost his shame or her shame in that lust. The person that now has not only uh, physically given themselves over to sexual sins and then mentally allow themselves to just kind of dwell upon it and meditate it and, 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 and stay on that all their life. Now to the point to where they've lost all shame in it. And the Apostle Paul says, you know, that's the flesh-filled life. A, a fleshly life is controlled by that kind of nature. You can, you can see it evidenced in that area for sure. You have to be pure. Whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are... Think on these things, Philippians 4, verse number 8. Paul says, this is what you ought to think about. This is what you ought to be meditating on. But you are to avoid 
sexual sins. Number two, spiritual sins. Spiritual sins. Verse number 20 says idolatry and witchcraft. What he's talking about when I say spiritual sins is, and I use the word spiritual because I like, um, you know, whenever I'm breaking down scripture to, to alliterate, that means everything starts with the same letter. So sexual sins, spiritual sins. But what I'm talking about here and what the Apostle Paul is talking about, more importantly, is religion. Okay, this, this idea of, uh, of allowing religion to overtake you. Religion is a flesh-filled life. And we can all fall into that. Idolatry is the first one that he mentions, idolatry. Now, idolatry, for, for something to be an idol in our life, it just has to be something that is more important to us than God. Now, in the day and age in which Paul is writing to the people of Galatia, it was very popular to have idols that they would go and worship. It was very popular to go to a, a temple that was full of idols and they would actually sacrifice food to those idols and do ceremonial uh, practices to those idols and actually bow down to those idols. And, and that's pretty popular in the day and age in which Paul is writing that. Today in America, that's not the most popular thing to do. We don't really have a lot of temples with big idols that people go and actually bow down to. But I would say something that we see in America today is a lot of idol worship. Maybe not statues that are there, but man, how we idol sports in our society today. How we idol celebrities today. How we idol money in our day and age. In other words, we live for that. And it, it's what controls our, our minds and our thoughts. It's something that we just live for and we put it even above God. We sacrifice more for those things than for God and it becomes an idol in our life. And Paul says a, flesh, uh, a fleshly life is one that is controlled even by idolatry itself. And then he says witchcraft. Now, the word, the Greek word here for witchcraft is pharmakia, where we get the word pharmacy. Now, let me just say, first of all, that doesn't mean you can't take like NyQuil, right? even though it's pharmacy, it's a drug. The reason it's used here is because in much of the worship for idols and idolatry and that pagan lifestyle, they would actually use drugs to, to connect with the supernatural. In other words, they get themselves high with different kinds of drugs. By the way, today, in our day and age, drugs is a big part of what's happening in the lives of many teenagers. I mean, just look statistically. And it's not just teenagers, by the way. I wish I could just say that. But it's really, in general, drugs has torn apart families, husbands from their wives and moms from their families and children. It's an addictive product that the more you consume, the more you want. People that are going through difficult times in life, they, they, they feel hopeless and, and many of them turn to drugs, trying to get out of it and say, man, that, that, that's going to at least forget my problems for a while. That's going to be great. And Paul says, listen, when you start using it for those purposes, it's witchcraft. Mankind has a natural desire to want to know the supernatural, to worship the supernatural. 
That's why demons, they, 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 they hold such a, um, a fascination, right? I, I don't know if you've maybe watched like on the History Channel and stuff. Sometimes they'll, they'll talk about, you know, who, who really made the pyramids and was there an alien race before the human race? I can say there, there is another species other than human, and that is angels. They are real. They do exist. They are more powerful than we are. They would be much more supernatural than we are. And their work is real. What they do, the destructive power of a demon is real. And many people throughout the centuries have used witchcraft to try to connect with these demons. And Paul is saying, listen, that is fleshly. Avoid that. Stay away from that because it manifests that you are living a fleshly life. Anyone that's living in, in religion in and of itself is fleshly. In this study, we have found that you don't really have to uh, just worship a demon to be religious. You can just make the law your religion. Make good works your religion and you're just as lost in idolatry as the pagans of old. Paul is saying that's, that's the evidence of a fleshly life is, is spiritual sins. You have sexual sins, spiritual sins. Number three, societal sins. He lists at least eight of them in this passage. Hatred, variance, simulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Paul describes those sins that would destroy relationships in the life of a person. I, I like the way that uh, the New Living Translation uh, translated this, and, and I put it there in your notes. Uh, they translated idolatry, sorcery. Right? We've talked about those, those spiritual sins, religiousness. But then look, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. I don't think I have to expound too much on many of those words. I think we, we get what he's saying. The fleshly life is driven by these desires and by these actions and manifestations. It's, it's displayed in sexual sins, spiritual sins, and societal sins, our relationships. It affects everything, us and others. So in the first picture of the contrast, he says, look at the darkness. This is how you identify that darkness. But then in verse 22, he says, look at the light. A spirit-filled life. A spirit-filled life. Now, one thing I want us to notice as we jump into the spirit-filled life. The first phrase, it says in verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit, the fruit. Go back to verse 19, it says, now the works of the flesh. Verse 22, the fruit of the spirit. There's something really big in that. Notice that one is done in my power, right? Works, I can do works. Paul says the works of the flesh, those things that you can do. But a spirit-filled life is not full of my works. It's full of fruit. Fruit is the work of another. It's the result of someone else's power, not my own. In fact, this is very interesting. I, I found this story in the Associated Press. They did a study years ago. And they were trying to find exactly how much 
was done in agriculture by man. And they did this in Iowa, the study. And it reported that production of 100 bushels of corn from one acre of land, in addition to the many hours of the farmer's labor, required, Lotus says, 4 million pounds of water, 6,800 pounds of oxygen, 5,200 pounds of carbon, 160 pounds of nitrogen, 125 pounds of potassium, 75 pounds of yellow sulfur, and other elements too numerous to list. In addition to these, which no man can produce, rain and sunshine at the right time are critical. It was estimated that only 5% of the produce of a farm can be attributed to the efforts of the farmer. Can I say in the spiritual life, it's the same. That's why it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not in our power. It's not something that we can produce of ourselves. What we can produce of ourselves are the works of the flesh. That we don't need help in. But to live in the power of the Spirit, you need the fruit of the Spirit. You, you, you need uh, that, that filling of God in your life. So I, I broke this into three categories quickly. Number one, internal fruit. The first three that it gives us are internal fruit. Love, joy, peace. You see, when God begins to work on you and me, he works from the inside out, not from the outside in. As parents, many times, we like to work from the outside in, even as teachers, right? We, we like to, hey, let's modify their behavior. And I'm all about making sure some, some kids are paying attention and doing right in school. I'm all about kids obeying their parents. That's something that we see in the Bible. But when God is truly changing someone, he actually starts from the inside and then works his way out. Love, joy, and peace are internal fruits in us. Love is a very powerful reality. It takes us to heights that we've never achieved before, never seen before. There's a great chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, on the reality of love. When, when Paul is talking to the Corinthians and writing to them about spiritual gifts. He said the most important of all the gifts is not one that prophecy like preaching or teaching or admonishing or being merciful. You know, the greatest gift is love. It's this internal fruit that God begins to produce in you and me. Love. And then joy. Joy is not a product of our circumstances or surroundings. It's a product of our hope in God and God's promises joy. That's an internal fruit. Third, peace. Now, peace comes about through the working of God in our soul and spirit. It is the assurance of his word and of his salvation. It's the assurance of his faithfulness and love. It is the assurance of his protection and his provision. We can have peace because we wait on God, our faith in God. That all is internal. Love, joy, peace. Now, look, I could preach a message just on love, just on joy, just on peace. I'm going to do that today, all right? We started late. I'm not going to get out too late, all right? We're, we're almost done here. But I do want you to understand that internal fruit, love, joy, peace, is something that he begins to work on in us. But the fruit of the Spirit isn't just, oh, in me, internally. Some people look at Christianity and go, well, you can't tell me. I, God knows my heart. Okay, well, well, God is working on your heart, I hope, to give you love, joy, and peace that internal fruit. But you know, there is also external fruit, okay, fruit that can be seen by others. And the next three that are listed here is the external fruit. Not only love, joy, peace 
internally, but long-suffering gentleness and goodness. As it works its way out, as love, joy, and peace work its way out, it is seen, first of all, with long-suffering. Long-suffering, this word means self-restraint, controlling our temper, right? Someone has described it as goodness and action. You're long-suffering, you're, you're restraining yourself from, from maybe what you want to say or you want to do and allowing the Spirit to work in you. And then you find uh, the, the word gentleness, gentleness, uh, being good towards others. So uh, we have in the first one uh, of, of long-suffering, being self-restraint uh, and controlling ourselves, that helps others. Others can see that gentleness is the goodness we show to them. And then the third one um, is the actual word goodness. Now, this word is the Greek word. We translate it as goodness, but it's the Greek word uh, agathosene. And it means doing good in a moral and righteous sense. It means telling the truth in a loving yet clear and direct way. So, so as a spirit-filled Christian, right, the external fruit that we give isn't just restraining myself from saying things in a, in a way that could be harmful and hurtful. It's, it's, it's not only in doing good for others, that's gentleness, but goodness is being truthful with others. And listen, I'm thankful for the people that have had goodness towards me in my life. They don't just say, hey man, whatever you want to do, I don't care. I'm thankful for those that, that just say, hey, Jeremy, you, you ought to think about that. Thankful for the teachers in, in the schools that I grew up in and said, you know, Jeremy, that attitude is not going to get you very far in life. Did I want to hear that? No. Did I need to hear that? Yes. And that's what, that's what goodness does. It gives us the truth in a, in a, in a clear way. First uh, Peter chapter 5, I put that in your notes, verse 12. I have written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you're experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Peter, to the Christians he was writing to, saying the same thing, stand firm in the grace of God. Paul here to the Galatians saying the same thing. From that fruit is external that others can see, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. And then I want you to notice the last category, that's personal fruit. This is the fruit that affects our person, our character. It affects our very soul and our very being. And notice that it starts with faith. Faith, meekness, temperance. Faith here is the idea of faithfulness. Throughout this letter, Paul's used word, uh, the word faith in different situations, different circumstances. Faith can talk about and mean our salvation. Right, We're saved by faith. But here... In chapter 5, verse 22, it's used for faithfulness, like, like a practice of, of, of being faithful to God. One of the fruits of being filled by the Spirit of God is that we will be faithful. I think this is so important because sometimes as people, as Christians, we want, we want people to kind of lay off, right? We'll say, you can't judge me. You're not God. 
And why I can agree with that, we aren't God and we're not here to be judging one another and condemning one another. I, I, I certainly, certainly agree with that. But there is something called discerning. There is something called evidence of a spirit-filled life and part of that evidence is faithfulness. Well, we can't faithfully serve God and walk with God. When we can't faithfully grow in our faith, then there's something that's controlling us that is not the Spirit of God. Being unfaithful is something of a flesh-filled life, not a spirit-filled life. I'm just sharing with you evidences that the Paul, Paul says this is a spirit-filled life. One that has faithfulness, number two, he says meekness. This is uh, the word that could be translated as humility. It's it's power under control. It's, it's God controlling our lives so he can produce in us the ability to learn and grow continually. And then temperance is self-control, mastering your desires and passions. In fact, there's two facets to temperance. The first facet is discretion, okay? Saying something with discretion. That's part of temperance. Then the second is discipline. Discretion has to do with saying and doing the right thing at the right time. And discipline is doing the right thing at the right time consistently. The spirit-filled Christian lives with temperance in his life. Knowing when to hold your tongue and knowing when to open your mouth. Knowing when to have some self-restraint and knowing when to give the truth directly and clearly to somebody. The spirit-filled Christian shows the different contrasts that. You, you can look at the flesh-filled life and there's strife and hatred and emulations and envy and jealousy, but the spirit-filled life doesn't. It has temperance and meekness, and love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness. I love that Paul ends it with, and against such things, there's no law. I love that. It's something that just happens and produces. I don't have to have a thou shalt love for me to love when I'm spirit filled. I don't have to have a law that says thou shalt be joyful even in bad circumstances. It's just something that comes out. Paul didn't have a thou shalt be joyful and sing when in prison. There's no, there's no verse like that in the Bible. But we find the joy was so much in Paul's life that even when he was placed in prison for his faith, he's singing. Why? Because a spirit-filled Christian has fruit that is internal working in them, fruit that is external that others can see, and a personal fruit, one that's working on their character and how to act and interact with others. Just like the flesh life has sin that affects our relationships, the Spirit has fruit that affects our relationships. Just like there's sin that affects our being and who we are, there's also fruit that affects our being and who we are. Just like there's sin that affects others and what we do uh, for others and for God, there's fruit that affects what we do for others and for God. 
So notice the last point, if you will, will be done. Choose the Spirit-filled life. Verse 24, 25, and 26. That's all it's saying. That's all it's saying. He's giving the contrasting of pictures. Paul said, I hope I made this clear. And by the way, it's not an exhaustive list. That's why at the end of the flesh list, he says, and such like. Like, there's still more. I'm not going to write them all down for you. But he says, I hope I've contrasted this enough so that you'll know this. Look at verse 24. This is what you got to know. This is not, this is so important. And they that are Christ have crucified that life. You've killed it. It's dead. If you're going to choose a spirit-filled life, you got to put to death the flesh through Christ. Now, the key to this is remembering that in and of ourselves, we can do nothing. Putting to death the flesh is more than just positive thinking. There are people that, oh, if you're a positive thinking, think good things will happen. This is not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about positive thinking. Okay. He's talking about spirit-filled thinking. Well, what does spirit-filled thinking think like? Or what does that look like? What does that sound like? Well, I put a few verses to help us with that. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, Peter writes, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. It thinks about we're in a war. The spirit-filled Christian has this mindset, we're in a war, we're in a battle for our very souls. Galatians 2.20, so I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm in a war, and I've died to myself. How did I die to myself? Paul says, through Christ. When he died on the cross, I died with him. When he resurrected to new life, he gave me new life. Number three, 2 Corinthians 5.21, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I, oh, I Wrote the wrong verse there. I don't know if I wrote the wrong verse in yours as well. Uh, but uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians, real quick, 5.21. There in your notes, it's just a few pages back in your Bible. But it says this. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The spirit-filled life, how does he think? I've been made new. The righteousness of God. I'm in a war. I got to put to death my flesh. In the King James Version, you'll find the word mortify. That means to put to death, to kill. Kill our flesh. Put it to death. How? Through Christ. Saying that Christ, what he did on the cross, it was for me, and I died with him. And then when he raised from the dead, what did he give me? He made me righteous with him. He gave me that righteousness. Number two, walk in the Spirit. If you're going to choose the Spirit-filled life, put to death the flesh, walk in the Spirit. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Philippians 4, 13. And Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Walking in the Spirit. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Serving in power. It's all about walking in the Spirit. Choosing a Spirit-filled life is walking in the Spirit. And then number three, notice what he says in verse number six, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. I would just simply say, stay humble. We must not allow the life of the power of the Spirit to make us prideful. By the way, if we live in the Spirit, we won't be prideful. 
Our mindset won't allow us to get there. But you can fall to there. The Christians at Galatia, Paul said, you did run well. Who does hinder you? Your mind changed. Your focus changed. What, what, what happened? Same thing. That's why at the very end, he says, hey, 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 just stay humble too. Spirit-filled life is not one that's going to fall uh, into this of vainglory and provoking one another and envying one another. I love what Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Stay humble. It is only by God's grace that we have been saved. It's not of our works. It's not because we're so good. No. It's because He's good. It's because of what He's given us. It's because of the Spirit that indwells us, given to us by God. That's why there can be fruit. So it's real simple. The passage here, Paul's just contrasting. Look at the light, look at the darkness. Darkness first, look at its works. Light, look at its fruit. I want to lead you and encourage you, and I desire for you to choose a spirit-filled life because whoever spirit-filled crucifies the flesh and walks in the spirit. That way they might not be living for vainglory, provoking one another or envious of one another, but living the spirit-filled life. This morning, what life will you choose? What life are you going to live? We can see the fleshly life evidenced. We can see the spirit-filled life evidenced. It manifests itself. This morning, I want to encourage you, if you're not living a spirit-filled life, you can. You don't have to be controlled by your flesh. The power that we've been given by the Spirit is to overcome the flesh. So this morning, I want to encourage you Let's live by the power of the Spirit that indwells in us. Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's live by that faith today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for your truth. Clearly, your word teaches us that we can either live a life that is led by our flesh, or a life that is directed by your Spirit. We can be controlled by our own sinful nature and desires. Or we can be controlled by the Spirit that brings about fruit that is so tasteful. Fruit that is so delicious that others may see it, hear of it, taste it, and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Help us today, Father, to understand that the Spirit-filled life isn't just for some Christians, but it's for all of us. Help us this week. Help us this week to see that there's a difference and to live the difference, to be different. Our life might contrast what is light and what is darkness. Help us to live in the light to live by the power of your spirit. Work in each of our hearts, I pray.
In Jesus' precious name, amen.